0: Amen. Hey, well, good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Hey, we're we're here again, right? I mean, this I'm never ever gonna take gathering for granted again, right? I'm I'm gonna celebrate. My name is Jason, and I get the joy of serving as one of the pastors here at City Light. Uh, I just, man, I'm just encouraged just here to be in the space with you. Like that's good enough. Like anything else is just an extra on top of that. And so just seeing you guys, I missed you so much. You have no idea. Um, so, this morning, we're going to continue in the book of Ruth. We're going to be in the fourth chapter of Ruth. Um, how, how's everyone doing? Are we doing well? Good, yeah. You guys, are, are we awake? Yeah. yeah, wasn't much of a response there, and so, you know, it's 1030, so you guys should be awake by now. Um, we gotta, we got to get, you know, sermons are give and take, and so we're going to get a little bit of give and take, and so I'm going to try to wake you guys up. Um, but my hope is, as we open up the book of Ruth, chapter four, we can see something that's personal and practical. We're going to see a message, or I hope that we see, and that is the overarching theme of Ruth is redemption. So God wants you and me to understand and be able to apply in our life and practice and live out the implications of his redemption. And so when we redefine redemption, because it's not a word we use every day, we simply mean to buy something back. So like if you were to sell a car, uh, you would redeem that by buying it back. Or if you were to sell a house, you would redeem that by buying that back. And so the simple definition of redemption is to purchase something. So God has purchased our life. God has bought back our life. And here's what I want us to see today is there's a finality in redemption. God in his grace has ended something. So I hope that we can see is that redemption has the last word. So there's a component of the way we live where we look back on and we say, redemption has concluded that. So we can have security and joy then to begin to live the rest of our life. Does that make sense? You guys with me so far? We tracking? hopefully. Okay, so open up to Ruth chapter, uh, chapter 4 if you have your Bibles. I want to read the, fir- the fifth verse. It says this, "...then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance." So I want to help us just understand the scene of what's happening here. There's three main characters that we've met in the book of Ruth. Ruth herself is a younger woman. She's lost her husband, so she's a widow at a young age. She's traveled back to this town called Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, who who, um, lived in in Bethlehem. Uh, Naomi had lost her husband and her two sons, and one of those sons was Ruth's husband. Fortunately, God in his grace has established this system of redemption. God had established this system specifically called kinsman redemption. So kinsmen's a relative. You have kinsmen, people, cousins, uncles, aunts, people that you're related to. Redemption was this way of purchasing something back. So God in his grace established this system whereby a person's life wouldn't be defined by death, but instead be defined by redemption. Amen. Amen. So God in his grace allows Ruth to partake or participate in this process of redemption. Boaz is a redeemer. He's a relative to Naomi. So he has the ability to redeem her, but there's a closer relative. So Boaz goes to the market square, the town gate, which also is, acts as kind of a courthouse. It's a place where legal proceedings happen and also business transactions. And he brings this group together of 10 elders, and he begins his conversation with this closer relative. Now, I've often wondered, is there a reason why scripture doesn't name the relative? Because the relative says no to redeeming Ruth. But Boaz says Yes. And actually takes it upon himself to pursue Ruth's redemption. And we begin to have a picture of Jesus' pursuit of us in our redemption. And we see his grace for us, that he's working on our behalf. And so Boaz lays out for this closer relative what he'll have to do. You have to not only purchase the land, but you also have to purchase Ruth as well. So it's a complete and total package. So we're beginning to see the process or beginning to understand how redemption has a final word. When you guys have sold your house, depending on which side you're on, it is either the beginning of something or the conclusion of something. You're either opening the door for the first time or you're locking the door for the first time. Or when you sell a car... You're either handing those keys off for the last time or you're receiving those keys for the last time. So we intuitively kind of understand that there is a finality to redemption. And the finality that we see is Ruth will no longer be defined by death. She's not the widow anymore. She is going to be the redeemed bride. Just like we are the redeemed bride of Jesus Christ. Our lives aren't defined by sin and death. They're defined by redemption. So the conclusion or the finality is you're no longer defined by your sin. Amen, church, right? So let me put this real practically. For moms, on Mother's Day, if you don't know if it's Mother's Day, it's Mother's Day. You need to get on the ball and make something happen. You don't have much time. You got like maybe 12 hours. Make something happen. When that parental guilt creeps in, we can be reminded of God's grace for us. You say, no, 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 we're not defined by our sin. We're defined by the redemption we see and have in Jesus Christ. And here's why. Let's keep reading. I'm not going to read verse 9 and 10, but I just want to highlight what Boaz does. In verse 9, it says this, You are witnesses this day that I have bought. Do we see that? Boaz purchased from his own wealth the hand of Ruth. He purchased from his own wealth the land from Naomi, and it continues in verse 10. He also says this. You see where it says, I have bought to be my wife. So Boaz literally exhausts some of his wealth, just like Jesus has purchased us. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. It says this. In him we have redemption through his blood, for the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So Boaz takes it upon himself to literally purchase this land for the betterment of Ruth. Just like Jesus has taken it upon himself to purchase your life for your betterment. So Ruth is, is this picture of redemption for us. And we can we come to it and we say, how can we trust in the reality that that our redemption is secure. Like it literally is the end of something because it's a legal process. When you guys sold a house or purchased a house, like there's an ungodly amount of paper. Like it's insane. Sign this, sign this, sign this. And then like 10 times later, you're like, I don't even really care what the signature looks like. So my signature just gets progressively worse. And so by the end, it's like just a line. It's like, You know, I just don't even care anymore because I've signed it like 30 times. Like, how many times do you have to sign for a piece of paper? And so there's just this hammer. Yeah, amen. Someone else is there with me, right? It's so lawyers can make a lot of money. There's just, it's hammered in us that it's a legal contract, legal contract, legal contract. And so in Jesus Christ, he has legally purchased you. There were witnesses that testified to the redemption of Ruth. Church, you have legally been purchased from sin and death. That doesn't define you anymore. Redemption has the last word on your death. You're now defined by the life you have in Jesus Christ. So we can turn our hearts and minds to his grace and say that his blood purchased that and allow redemption, especially on Mother's Day. Because I think moms tend to have a little bit more parental guilt than dads. Like dads are just kind of oblivious to the, the, the brokenness we cause. Moms, like you're tender hearted. You recognize when the kid needs to be put on the lap and hugged. We have God's grace. As we continue to read here, we see something that's incredible and remarkable. I'm going to get to my page here. In verse... Oh, uh... wrong page. In verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. This is one of the more remarkable aspects of redemption, is redemption isn't just for us. Redemption is, for us, a life-giving experience. We see here where Ruth's redemption meant she literally was going to conceive and give birth to a child and bring a new life. And we begin to understand very practically what Jesus is accomplishing in our heart and our mind is that he is birthing, if you will, a child. Someone who he loves, you, Jesus loves you. He is giving and granting and giving life. Look what they tell Naomi as we continue to read in verse 14 or 15. It says to Naomi, the people around her say of God, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Prior to this, Naomi, who's the grandma now to a child's life was defined by the death of her husband and the death of her two sons. Could you imagine living out that existence when she passes? There's no one to carry on her family's name. Instead, God in his grace establishes this legal process whereby her life isn't defined by death. Instead, it's defined by life. We understand the personal consequence. Like You're not defined by sin and death. You're defined by the life you live in Jesus Christ. He is a restorer of life. He has purchased that. He longs for us to live out those implications for us to be set free. People around her (laughs) recognized what was going on, and we see here that redemption is life-giving. It's so profound and so life-giving that we see what happens in verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, and she became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, A lot of us in here probably know, and some of us don't. David grew up to become a king. He's a humble shepherd. He's the youngest of kids. He's the scrawny one who gets taunted. He becomes this king, not just any king, a king who was Uh, said to have a heart after God. He was the kind of heart that we long for, those of us who love Jesus and are loved by him. King was that type of person, had a heart after God. And we see something very practically that redemption is so profound, it's so life-giving, that it impacts generations. Here is King David's grandmother being redeemed. Do you think the humility of that experience was given through the generations? The humility of having to travel from from one land to depend on God's grace and his promises, to trust in the nature and character of God, was that character carried through to David so that then when they say David was a king after God's own heart, we go, that makes sense because his great-grandmother and his grandmother were Naomi and Ruth because of the situation they went through the humble experience that they had, but the grace of God that they experienced. And so moms, I just want to encourage you today on Mother's Day that your redemption has a generational impact. That's the finality of it, is that your family doesn't have to be defined by sin and death. Instead, it can be defined by the freedom and grace we have in Jesus Christ, by the restorer of life. And we see this beautiful picture of where Naomi is holding her grandkid. And that grandkid becomes a grandfather to a king. And that's when the story explodes for us. And we go, that makes incredible sense that God would purchase and make known for us this incredible worth through grace and freedom. Now, as we continue to read here, or maybe I already read past it, I got excited. Um, we, I think I did read past it. Uh, we saw in here where they said of Naomi that she was more valuable then seven sons. It was in verse 15. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to read past that. I just got excited this morning. I was just, I'm off. Like, we're gathering for the first time. It's like my birthday party. Yeah, so um, I didn't mean to read past that, moms. But it said in verse 15 that Naomi was worth more than seven sons. I don't want to read past this. The reason we're going back, I'm kind of out of order. I hope I don't confuse you, is redemption reveals to us our worth. This was a culture that said that women were less than animals. Animals were more valuable than women. And so for this to be in Scripture, it swims against the cultural streams. To say that Naomi, who was a Moabite, is more valuable than seven Jewish sons, is a testament to the value of what redemption does and accomplishes in us. And so we begin to see why Jesus would hang on that cross and purchase us because his redemption reveals to you your true worth. So, when we experience the grace of Jesus, we begin to experience God's goodness for us. But in a practical sense, we begin to see how valuable we truly are, not in an arrogant sense, but in a humble way, so that we can then impact other people with that same humble experience. Like Ruth, we come to our situation completely dependent upon our Redeemer to act. And like Ruth, we have a Redeemer who acts. We have a Redeemer who shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Like Ruth, if we trust in God's promises, we can experience redemption that is final. Ruth was redeemed and gave birth to a kid. That real picture is what happens in our heart and our mind. That conclusion happens in our heart and mind if we trust in God's goodness and his promise. And so as we think of Ruth's story, just really practically, like what are the implications? What are the practical takeaways? My hope is, or maybe we can help, maybe there's a diagnostic I can help with, is do you feel when you watch the news and the stories pop up, there's going to be, the virus is going to be around for longer, there's going to be food shortages, do you feel fear that grips you and you're compelled by that because fear and death tend to run in the same stream? Or when you hear the news, the virus is going to be around a little bit longer, there's going to be food shortages, do you feel the security of God's relationship with you? That's probably the best diagnostic I can give you, because it doesn't make sense to hear that there's a virus, and it doesn't make sense to want to gather with people when they're saying that other people are the cause of the virus by just simply being in the same room, right? But we trust in God's goodness. We trust in his security. And so, my hope for us is that really practically, that in our hearts and our minds, we're compelled to live out of joy. That we can look back on, not necessarily a defining moment in time where it's just one single day or something like that, maybe a period, but we can say, My life is no longer defined by sin and death, but it's defined by the life that Jesus has given me. And the way I'm living that is in the joy and the security. Think about Ruth's situation. She went from uncertainty, not even knowing how she was going to eat in a single day, to having a kid who would end up providing for her, but also a husband who purchased the land for her to live on. That provision is a phenomenal testament of what God practically provides for you today. His promises and his security of redemption were legally purchased. It's final. Redemption has the final word on your death, church. It has the final word. Let me show you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says this. Therefore, listen to this, church. Grab a hold of this verse. Let this be your verse today. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Do you see that? There's something new that happened, and that new is you. The old has passed away. That's gone. Behold, the new has come. Do we see that distinction, that mark of before and after? Redemption has the last word. Your worth is being revealed to you on a daily basis. My hope and prayer for us is that we experience really practically God's grace, and we're reminded that our redemption was legally purchased. It's done, and it's over with. We now have eternal life because of Jesus Christ. And we can experience that joy today and live in that security today. We're not people who are moved or motivated by fear. Instead, we trust in Jesus' goodness to live today the way Jesus wants us to live. Amen? I want to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you that you hung on that cross and you offer us redemption. We thank you, Lord, that redemption concluded the wrongs we committed against you. We thank you that our redemption was a final act in our life, that it was the death knell to our sin. We thank you that you took the wrath that we deserve. We thank you that you gave us forgiveness that we didn't earn. We thank you that you're the redeemer who pursued us. Lord, I thank you for the picture of redemption we see in the book of Ruth. I thank you that there are people who have gone before me to share the gospel, I think that there are generations that are impacted by redemption, that your word is eternal, Lord. We praise you and we thank you. And so I ask for everyone that's in this room this morning, I ask that your grace would be known. I ask that your goodness would be felt. I ask that the spirit of Jesus Christ would reside in their hearts and minds, and they can say with certainty that they've been forgiven for their sins, that they've been forgiven for what they've done, and that now they're experiencing the newness of life, that they feel like they're a new creation. They can't explain what's happening in their hearts and mind. They can simply say that God's goodness is being revealed to them. Lord, we pray and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.